I do appreciate the comments that Mr. McNair made, in, even in the announcements, talking about distractions, the things that are in the world around us that draw us away from God, that draw our attention away from God, or can very easily do that. Mr. DeSimone's sermon earlier was excellent in reminding us about a number of things. But the point of being an intentional parent or an intentional grandparent is really key. I'd like to talk about intentionality today as well. In fact, what I would like to do is ask a question. How, brethren, how deliberately or how intentionally do we live our lives as Christians? How do we live our lives as Christians? Do we go on day to day and just whatever happens, happens? Or are we deliberate as Christians? Are we intentional as Christians? Are we purposeful in what we choose to do and what we choose to say and how we choose to think and how we choose to act? What I'd like to do with the remaining time today is to review what God has to say about the way that we live our lives as Christians. And then I want to give you two points for ways that we can live our lives even more deliberately or more intentionally. I've entitled the sermon this afternoon, Being, or excuse me, Be a Deliberate Christian. Or if you like intentional better, you can use that synonym. Be an intentional Christian. What I'd like to do today, brethren, is to encourage you to keep on keeping on. Because I know that in the world that we live in today, not only are we distracted, but things are difficult. Satan rules this world as the God of this age, we're told. And he has designed a society to torment us, to hurt us. To hurt us, to torment us as God's first fruits, yes, but as children of God. The whole world is suffering because Satan is the God of this age. I was talking to a church member this morning, and we were talking a little bit about suffering. He happened to be in a hospital bed, and we discussed the, the, the concept of suffering back and forth, and I, said, I just shared with him, I think, one of the lessons that I'm learning when it comes to suffering and trials is that as long as we're in Satan's world, we're going to suffer. We will. And the thing that will change that is we need a new God of this world. We need Jesus Christ to come down to return as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then it will stop when Satan is bound in the pit. He's taken away. He can deceive the nations no more. But I want to encourage you, brethren, today to keep working hard in the world that you live in, the world that we live in. Every day is a struggle, every day is a challenge, and it takes being deliberate and intentional every day. So I want to encourage you to keep up the good work. Let's, let's go to a few scriptures as we set the stage for the message here this afternoon. Turn with me to Ephesians 5. We were in Ephesians 6 just a few minutes ago, so hopefully your Bible pages are still limber. And we'll flip there relatively easily. Ephesians chapter 5 as we think about being intentional, being deliberate, being aware of the world that we live in, a world that is designed to distract us, to keep us from focusing on what really matters, to keep us from focusing on what we need to so that hopefully we continue to grow in grace, in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. So see then that you walk circumspectly, carefully, thoughtfully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, I don't know about you, but in the world that I've had the opportunity to live in, there are lots of distractions that work for my attention and try and keep me from redeeming the time. When Paul wrote this to the church at Ephesus, he warned them, didn't he? He said, redeem the time. Why? Use the time wisely. Why? Use the time intentionally. Why? Because the days are evil. There's so much about the society that we live in that wants to keep us from doing that. And so Paul was reminding the church almost 2,000 years ago of that point, but he's reminding us today, almost 2,000 years later, to, to use the time that we're given every day to relish it, not to waste it. Because if we don't, intentionally use it. It will be gone. It will slip through our fingers. Let's go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, here the Lord's brother writing to the church, again, almost 2,000 years ago, but writing to us today, reminds us again of this concept of life being quick, life being fleeting, time slipping away. James chapter 4 and verse 14. James 4 and verse 14. James wrote, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Our life does move quickly, doesn't it? From a human standpoint, you know, 70 or 80 years seems like a long time. But speak to a 70-year-old or an 80-year-old. And ask them how long that life is. And they'll say, it happens far too quickly. I was talking to one this morning. Life is a vapor. Life goes quickly. You know, when we had babies, people told us, they warned us, enjoy every minute of it because they grow up too quickly. And we believed. We were believers. And then it happens. And you look back and you think, oh, Is there some way we could have enjoyed it more and relished it more? Because it gets it gets to be to a point of being over too quickly. John chapter nine. John chapter nine, the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when he was on the earth. Made an observation at the beginning of his or near the beginning of his earthly ministry. A ministry he knew would last just three and a half years. John chapter 9 and verse 4, Christ made the observation, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. He knew that his earthly ministry would come to an end very quickly. And certainly we have that same, I think, drive and intention and pressure in the work of God. We know we've got to work the works of God now because the the time is coming when it won't be able to happen anymore. There's a famine of the word that is coming that will shut us down. 
We won't be able to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God to the world as a witness anymore. So we've got to do it while the door is open. Turn with me to Matthew 25, please. Because again, we put these thoughts and these concepts in our mind that we are living in a time that is moving quickly. We have opportunities in life that will move out of our opportunity zone if we're not careful. Matthew chapter 25. Let's read about some ladies who, some of whom chose to live intentionally and others of whom chose not to. And this is a, a familiar passage to most of you. It's the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins or the parable of the ten virgins. Matthew 25, verse 1. And we, I'm not going to read all of this. I think most of you are familiar. But here you have ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. The wise took oil, the foolish did not. They all slumbered and they slept. And then Christ, the Master, returns. What do we learn from this? Well, we look at those five wise virgins and we see... Five individuals, we see individuals in God's church who were intentional in the way they lived their lives. These wise virgins prepared. They did what they needed to so their lamps were full when Christ returned. The the oil is representative of God's Holy Spirit. And so they had to do what they needed to do to make sure they had God's Holy Spirit in abundance. The foolish virgins didn't do that. They missed out. Christ, the master, returns, takes the five wise virgins with him and closes the door to the wedding on the foolish virgins. Still the church. Members of the church. The door closes. They cannot enter. Why? They did not do what they needed to do to keep their lamps full of oil, brimming with God's Holy Spirit. The powerful takeaway from this passage that I think you are very well aware of. Let's go to one more introductory scripture here, Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, and we'll look at verse 9 here. Galatians 6 verse 9, one of the challenges of being intentional is we can wear out. Dr. Meredith used to encourage us prod us, push us, over and over, didn't he? And he would tell us, we've got to drive ourselves forward. Drive ourselves spiritually. Not let down, keep pushing forward, because we live in a world that's trying to pull us backward spiritually. When you do that, when you drive yourself every day, especially if you try and do it all by yourself without God's power, you can wear out. Paul understood that when he wrote to the Galatians. Here in Galatians 6, verse 9, what do we read? What is the reminder? What is the encouragement from Paul? He said, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap, if we do not lose heart. Don't grow weary doing good. God wants us to be encouraged, to keep our mind and our focus on the end goal, the kingdom of God and what God is calling us to. But with trial after trial, we can wear down. We have, to just, we have to be encouraged to not do that. We have to encourage each other to not do that. Life is moving quickly. We live in a society, that, in a Satan-orchestrated society, that will try and pull our attention away from the things that really matter. 
learning and growing as a Christian. It takes being deliberate and intentional, brethren, to continue doing what God wants us to do, to not grow weary while doing good, to continue to grow. And what I'd like to do in the remainder of the sermon today is to give you two actions that you can take to be an even more intentional or deliberate Christian. Two actions. And uh, one of these, I think, will be very apparent. The other one, you might not have thought about in quite the same way, but it's something that God expects of us and will actually help us learn and grow and put on more of the mind and the heart of Jesus Christ and God the Father. And that's the one I'm going to start with. What is one of the steps you can take to be even more deliberate as a Christian? Number one is I encourage you to visit and encourage the brethren. Visit and encourage the brethren. And I think many of you, many of us are trying to do that. So keep up the good work. But I want to talk about this a little bit. And let's look at what God has to say about visiting and encouraging the brethren. Luke chapter 21. Luke 21. We're going to turn to the words of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at them from this vantage point of being intentional, being deliberate as a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian to you? You know, as a Christian, we bear the name of the Messiah, don't we? We bear the name of the Son of God who died for all of humanity. We bear his name, Christ. When we say that we're a Christian, we are of Jesus Christ. In God the Father. We represent Him. We represent His coming kingdom to the earth around us. And so we need to wear that, that title in a very humble way, but in a very driven and an intentional way. Luke chapter 21 and verse 34. We read from Jesus Christ, he says, Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousings and drunkenness. Uh, we, read, we had read in the last sermon, Mr. DeSimone read uh, from Second Timothy, about what the end of the age is going to be like and some of the signs of the end of the age and the symptoms of the end of the age. Things like drunkenness and carousing. So he says, don't be weighed down. Slowed down by these things. Don't be weighed down by uh, carousings, drunkenness, and the cares of this life and that day come on you unexpectedly. Now, most of the people in God's church are not being weighed down by uh, carousing and drunkenness. There is some of that sometimes. And we need to be very careful and we need to get rid of that quickly. But the cares of this life... That is one characteristic. That is one thing that many of us can very easily be weighed down with, isn't it? There are so many cares of this life, so many demands in this life. Don't raise your hand, but how many of us feel sometimes like we're running on this great treadmill of life and we just can't get off? And we wish it would just stop just for an hour or two so we could catch our breath. Christ said, be careful. Don't be weighed down by the cares of this life and that day come upon you unexpectedly. If we get too buried by the things that are happening in life, the day, the day of Christ's return, which we're told comes as a thief in the night, 
it can sneak up on us and we be unaware. Because our focus is in so many other places and on things that probably don't matter in the grand scheme of things. James chapter 1. So Christ says, be careful. Don't be caught up in the things of this life. There are other more important things is what he's alluding to. James chapter 1 gives us some more indication of what some of these things are that Christ is alluding to. Things that really matter in the grand scheme of things. James chapter 1 and verse 27. James was inspired to write about pure religion. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. And obviously this is the religion he wants us to practice. That pure religion, that undefiled religion. He says it is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. A job, isn't it? It's a big job in Satan's world. To stay unspotted? To live in a world? To be surrounded by a world and not come away smelling of the world at the end of the day or the end of the week? It takes a lot of work. And he also says that we need to be focusing on the widows and the orphans. Something to think about here. Because he helps focus our mind, Matthew chapter 6, back to the words of Christ. As we think about this point, uh, the importance of visiting and encouraging the brethren. Matthew chapter 6. Visiting and encouraging the brethren is incredibly important. As you turn to Matthew chapter 6, let's talk about that for a second. Why is visiting or encouraging God's people so important? And who is it important to? Well, certainly it's important to those who receive the visit or the card or the encouragement or the call. Because it can lift them up and pull them out of a dark place sometimes as they're suffering trials. Let's them know, and, and many of us know that, don't we? Because we've been on the receiving end of, the blessed receiving end of that encouragement. People come to see us, or they, they send us a note, or they give us a call, or they, we come back to services after being gone for weeks, and they give us a big hug and say, I really missed you. You realize, wow, people do pay attention. It can be really encouraging to those who need it. But what's interesting is paying attention, visiting, encouraging God's people is just as important for those who do the encouraging as those who are encouraged. Those of you who do that, you understand. When you send someone a card, when you, when you spend time with them, I've come away from visits sometimes, visiting the sick, for example, and I wonder, am I more encouraged than they are? Because I just had a wonderful conversation with someone and it was positive. And when I walked in, they were sort of down. And when I left, they were really, really positive and encouraged. And certainly what's even more important than that is, as we do this for other people, our character is impacted for the good. It helps set our character in a more god even more godly way. Matthew chapter 6. Let's read together verse 19. <clears throat> Matthew 6:19. That's Mark. That's not going to work. You're in the right place. Wait for me. Matthew 6 and verse 19. Christ makes the observation. He says, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. We've got to be careful where we put our priorities, don't we? Because if we're not careful and we're too influenced by society, our focus will be on very physical things. Yet these physical things aren't really what matters in the long run, are they? Because life is a vapor. They will diminish. They will go away. As Christ says, moth and rust will destroy. We moved uh, a year and a half ago, and we had uh, clothes in boxes in the garage for about two months while we were showing our house and um, getting ready to move. And when we unpacked them, I found some wool items that I had. I have to, I actually, they're still in my closet. I need to throw them away. Uh, some wool sport coats, for example, or suits that had moth-eaten spots in them. Moth and rust destroy in this earth. There are things that are much more lasting. Let's continue verse 20. It says, Christ says, but lay up for yourself instead of these things on earth. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so we're being reminded here, we want to put our emphasis and our focus on the things that really matter in this life. It's, it's not bad to enjoy things of this life. But we really have to focus on what really matters, our relationship with God and our relationships with people. Let's look at another scripture, Matthew 25. We'll go back to Matthew 25. We talked about the ladies of Matthew 25 a few minutes ago, the wise and the foolish virgins. We're going to pick up in the very next parable here of the parable of the talents. And think about this again in context of the point of visiting and encouraging the brethren. How does this relate to the parable of the talents? Well, again, I'm not going to read the whole parable, but we'll read some of it. I'll paraphrase the beginning. You've got a master that's getting ready to go away on a long journey, and he calls his servants to them, and he gives one of them five talents, one of them two talents, and one of them one talent. He says, take care of these while I'm gone. The idea, I think, is lest something should happen to me, I don't want these things lost. I don't want someone to come in and steal. The master represents Christ, goes away. On a long journey, he comes back and he brings these um, servants to him again. And he, he brings the first servant who he gave five talents. And he says, okay, what did you do? with the five talents I gave you. Of course, this had been a faithful servant, a diligent and intentional, deliberate servant. And he was able to multiply those talents. And he said, here's your five talents and here's five more that I made while you're gone. And he did the same thing with the next. And he he brought his two talents and he gave him two more. And then he brought the third servant to him. Verse 24, let's read together. Matthew 25, 24. He who had received the one talent came and he said to the Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Look, here it is. What is yours? So he was diligent enough to not lose the talent. But that's all he did was he didn't lose the talent. 
Verse 26, the Lord answered and he said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back with interest. Obviously, this wasn't in the last few years in the banks. Because if you've had your money in the banks in the last few years, you haven't made any interest. In fact, depending on what country you've lived in, you've paid interest to put your money in the bank. Okay. Verse 28. What did he say? What was the result? Because what had happened with this servant? His master went away. He did hold on to what he was given. But he didn't work with what he was given. He didn't magnify what he was given. He didn't grow what he had been given. He sat on it. Christ is not pleased with that. He says, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten. Verse 29, for to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast into Excuse me, and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We see that Christ has expectations for us, doesn't he? He wants us to grow. He wants us to magnify. He wants us to focus on what matters. He wants us to be deliberate and intentional. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 6. As we think again about serving others and visiting others in God's church. Galatians 6, we read verse 9 a few minutes ago. We're going to read verse 10. Verse 9 again was, uh, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Verse 10, therefore as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. And certainly that's something God wants us to do as Christians, to look around at everyone around us. And if we see opportunity to do good, to let Our light shine, or if you will, Christ's light shine through us. He wants us to do that. But what's the second part of this verse? He says, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. It's the principle of you can take care of other people well, but if you can't take care of your own family well, what does God think of that? And when we look at our brethren, our brothers and our sisters in Christ, in the church. He wants us to do that, doesn't he? To look around and to take good care of each other, to look in on each other, to help each other. You know, one of the exciting things about visiting God's people, for me, is when I go to visit, sometimes I run into God's people when I'm visiting people. And I've done that with some of you. I was at the hospital a couple of weeks ago and ran into two different brethren while I was there. We had a Sabbath Oh, what, about a month and a half ago where I think there were about 30 of us in a hospital room after Sabbath services. (laughs) It turned out to be Fellowship Annex moved from here to the hospital. People were in the hallways. It was good, though, because you realize there's a lot of people that care. And it's encouraging to see that. I love visiting people, and they'll bring up just in conversation who else has been there recently from the church. And it's encouraging. It's exciting to hear that. I want to make you aware of a couple of traps that Satan can uh, deceive us to want to fall into when it comes to visiting the brethren or even being visited by brethren. 
trap number one. Be, be careful with this. I encourage you. And I know this is a trap because I know it's a trap that I have fallen into in the past. And our, our adversary who sets these traps, if nothing else, he is not original. He uses things that work. And he will set the same trap over and over and over. We've had some mice in our attic. And I've set traps in the attic. And it is amazing. You can set, these, these mice don't learn from each other. You can set a trap and it, it'll catch and set it again a couple hours later and another mouse will get caught. I, I can remember setting traps at uh, my father-in-law's house one time. And as I was setting one trap, I heard another one go off behind me. Once in a while you get these infestations of rodents. <clears throat> if we're not careful, we'll fall into Satan's repeatedly set trap. One trap with, with serving our brethren is the thought, and this is a fiery dart from Satan that he will shoot through the air to us, the thought of there are plenty of others who can do that. I'm busy right now. My life is full, but there's others in the congregation maybe who can do that and who have more time to do that. I don't know about you. You may never have been shot that fiery dart, but that fiery dart has hit me before. Um, and again, it might be true. There, are, there may be others in the congregation that are less busy. Maybe, maybe not. But if we fall into that trap, number one, we miss the opportunity to serve, to give to others, to help them, to encourage them, to lift them up. But number two, we miss the opportunity to grow through serving others and reaching out to them and lifting them up. So that's, that's one trap to avoid falling into, um, being told by our adversary that you don't, you're too busy for this, you've got too many other important things going on. <clears throat> trap number two, actually, is not for those who go to serve, but to those who are served. And I've, I've seen this fiery dart as well. And I have felt this fiery dart, and I know some of you have as well. <clears throat> That is, when we need encouragement, when we need to be lifted up, looking around and identifying the people who are not visiting and encouraging us. Does that make sense? Sometimes we can need encouragement and we realize we've got a congregation of people that could come and serve, but nobody's coming. And if we're not careful, that can actually lead to us becoming angry and embittered. And I know people over the years who've become embittered by that. We just need to be careful. Again, this is not correction. This is be careful. This is warning. Because we have an adversary who goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he has tools and he has instruments that he will use to try and bring us down and destroy us. So we've got to be careful. We've got to be aware of the traps he will set so we can avoid them. What are some ways to serve God's people when they're in need? Well, one of them, obviously, we can visit people who are in need. Call them, stop by, see if they need some encouragement, if they just like to talk for a little bit. Many of you do that. Keep up the good work. Thank you for doing that. We can sometimes provide meals for them. And we actually have a program here in the congregation that does that. And I know many of you have contributed to that program, providing meals for people who need meals, who may be in a position where they can't cook for themselves for a while. What is another way that we can serve and to give to God's people and to, to visit them in a way? 
How about cards? Many of you do send cards. We have lots of cards at our house for many of you. And thank you for that. And I can tell you, when you get a card and you're down, it's a wonderful thing. It's wonderfully encouraging to recognize, wow, this person has thought about me. But when I say cards, I don't mean electronic cards. Now, those are neat, too. But I'm talking about pen, paper, stamp. Those ancient things. But why is it so important? The electronic notes are nice, and they are good, and they are meaningful. I don't want to denigrate them. But when you get something in the mail that you can touch, and you can hold, and you can look at, and you can set down on a table, and then when you're discouraged, you can pick it back up again, and you can read over it again, and you're reminded again that that person wasn't just thinking about me once. I know they're praying for me. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful tool. It takes longer, doesn't it, to go out and buy a card. It actually costs some money. But you don't have to pay 7 or $8 for a card. You can go to the dollar store and get one for 50 cents. It doesn't matter how much you paid for it. I don't think many people are looking at the back at the cost of the card. What they're looking at is they got a card. And there's words inside with meaningful sentiment encouraging things. It's iron sharpening iron. It's someone lifting you up when you're feeling down. I encourage you, keep taking the time to do that. It doesn't cost much. Fifty cents, a dollar for a card. You don't even have to get a card. You can actually you can get paper. And you can actually write on paper a letter and put it in the mail. I'm joking, obviously. It, just, it doesn't happen today anymore, does it? Or not very much. But the act of writing is an act of giving when you think about it. You're giving of your time. You're giving of your thoughts. When I write cards or letters like that, I pray before I do. God, give me the words to lift this person up. Give me the gift of encouragement. And let it be received that way. And I know a lot of us do do that. Cards are a powerful way to reach out to somebody, to encourage them, to lift them up, and in a sense, to visit them. But there are even other ways we can do that, aren't there? Most of us have these things. Or we have the kind that sits on the table at home. Landlines. <clears throat> Many of our plans are unlimited long distance. And they can be powerful tools. Years ago, I had... We, we had the privilege of serving in a congregation that had a longtime church member, a lady who was blind, and she was homebound pretty much because of that. And I was visiting her one time, and she said, Mr. Winnell, there's not much I can do to help God's people, but I have a phone. And I have an unlimited long-distance program, and I can call people. Tell me who I can call to encourage it almost took my breath away because just of her example. Wow, what an example for me. And so I had at that time I had the privilege of serving six different congregations and had a contact with quite a few brethren over multiple states. And when I would hear about a situation or meet with um, some brethren who needed encouraging, I would say, I would ask them, I've got a, a person in a congregation over here who would love to call you and get to know you, 
and encourage you. Would you mind if I give her your phone number? And I would have people say yes. And this lady called people all over the place. And I know that because once in a while, people in other congregations would come up and say, I just talked to Mrs. Como, and she said to tell you hello. I gave her her name away. But that's okay. Because she's a saint who set an incredible example. And may very well continue to be setting it. Doesn't take long. Five minutes. Ten minutes. Twenty minutes on a phone call. That's less than a TV show. You know, um, there's a study that was done in Britain recently. And they they were looking at uh, the use of devices. They interviewed... 16 to 24 year olds and they found that 20 percent of the 16 to 24 year olds in britain now spend seven hours a day on electronic devices this is outside of work or school seven hours a day now not everybody does that most of our young people do not do that but it's amazing how much time we can spend on these things if we're not careful or in front of a computer screen if we're not careful. Seven hours a day, that's more than a full-time job. That's almost 50 hours a week. (laughs) And it's either playing games or just conversing back and forth with people. We're going to have carpal tunnel syndrome and thumbs like you don't believe in about 10 years because of that repetitive motion. How much time do we spend on things and I have to ask myself this. You know, we're approaching Passover, 14 weeks away, roughly, till Passover. And so we have to examine ourselves on a number of issues. But how much time are we spending on time-consuming things that don't matter? It is important to keep in contact with people, and social media can be a powerful tool to do that. Uh, it can keep us up to date. Are there things in our lives that we waste time with that if we took just a fraction of that time and gave it to brethren, we could help brethren with? Okay, I need to move on. Wow. This time goes quickly. So, give you some things to think about there in serving the brethren. I encourage you, as you think about being a deliberate Christian, think about how you can visit and encourage brethren even more. And I say even more because I know a lot of you are doing it. So please do keep up the good work. Second action to being a deliberate Christian is making time for spiritual growth. Making time for spiritual growth. Now, I know this is a very elementary point. But knowing the world that you live in and the world that I live in, time for real spiritual growth can be consumed very easily if we are not careful. Again, thinking about the parable of the talents there, you look, we looked at individuals who, some of whom took time for spiritual growth and some who didn't. Same thing with the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. The result of taking time for spiritual growth for five of those virgins was wonderful. The result of not taking time for the other five was terrible when we think about it. God wants us to grow. Second Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> Second Peter, chapter 3, and verse 18, one of those memory scriptures that I think many of you know. Second Peter 3, 
18, we're told, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow. Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yet this growth takes time, doesn't it? It takes work. If I want to grow my muscles or grow my lung capacity, I can't just watch an exercise video. I have to do it, don't I? If I want to grow my mind, I can't go sit down on a university campus and watch the students walk by. And maybe walk into the bookstore and just glance down the rows of books or the library, better yet. No, I have to do it. I have to work at it. And so I want to encourage you to keep doing that. There are many ways to learn and grow. And obviously one is daily Bible study. I'm going to give you a number list of a list of these. Daily, meaningful, prayerful Bible study. If we just read a few verses or a chapter and get it out of the way so we can move on, that's not study. That's skimming or quickly reading. We have to spend time every day thinking about what we're reading, praying about what we're reading, asking God to help us internalize it, to remember it, to apply it. I want to point out something else, though. Um, There's an article that was written in a pretty high-level computer magazine earlier this year. And they interviewed the director of IBM Research. His name is Arvind Krishna. He made the observation. He said, anyone that wants to make sure their data is protected for longer than 10 years should move to alternate forms of encryption now. And why was he saying this? The title of the article is IBM warns of instant breaking of encryption by quantum computers. Quantum computers are coming online. They're still in an early stage, but experts are suggesting that in the next five years we could have quantum computers that can crack every code imaginable in seconds. In fact, let me read a little bit further down. Quantum computers can solve some types of problems nearly instantaneously compared with, get this, billions of years of processing using conventional computers. That's how fast these quantum computers are going to be. Why do I bring that up? That combined with the left in Silicon Valley, individuals who are going to shut down freedom of communication, Now, what happens if we get a rogue nation out there? And it's the rogue nations that are putting money into things like quantum computers. It's them and big business. And they develop a virus that mutates through these quantum computers that can't be caught, except maybe by another quantum computer. And they shoot a virus at a country. And they kill every computer information system that isn't protected by a quantum computer algorithm. What does that mean for our work? But what does that mean for our access to learning as well? Let's talk about that for a second. We have so many things available to us online through the church, don't we? There are sermons online, years and years of sermons that you can download. Someone came up to me today and asked me who a particular minister was who has not been able to serve as a minister for the last five or six years. But the sermon's still there, the excellent message. God inspired it. It's still there on the web. There are so many other things that we can take advantage of because of the web. Our telecasts, 
And if you want to find out what won't happen in 2018, I encourage you, listen to Mr. Weston's message. It's exciting. We have TW Now programs, Tomorrow's World Viewpoint programs. We have video shorts. We have animations. So much is available on our website, and much of it is savable to podcast form or MP3 form. You can put it on a device, plug it into your car, and listen to it. Or go for a walk and listen to it. Brethren, so much is at our fingertips now. Jesus Christ said, I've got to do the work of him who sent me while it is day because night is coming when we can work no more. There's coming a time when our access to these things will go away. You may be aware of a historical organization called Living University. We had to close the doors last spring for a number of reasons. But the opportunity to learn through Living University is gone. I look around the room and I see many of you who took advantage of it while it lasted. Those in New York lost the advantage before a bunch of the rest of us because their state said you can't do this anymore. I think Living University is a good example of what could happen with other access. We've got to take advantage of it. We are able to offer one of those Living University courses right now, Theology 135, Life Ministry and Teachings, and we're doing it through Living Education. Grab it while you can. You know, if we hit hard times financially, Living Ed's going to be one of the first things to go because it's staff heavy. It takes a lot of effort to make it work. And our first priority is preaching the gospel. I encourage you, use the resources at your fingertips. We have weekly Bible studies here online every week by seasoned ministers. It's only one hour a week. And if you miss it, you can go back online and hear it again. Do we make time to listen to these things, to grow through them, to be encouraged by them? Mr. McNair just gave an excellent series on healing for the month of December. If you didn't hear it, brethren, you missed something. I personally learned some things from that Bible study that I very much appreciate. And if I hadn't been listening, I wouldn't have learned them. So I encourage you, take advantage of the resources that are available as you think about Continuing to make time for spiritual growth. Satan wants your calendar. And he will fill it up. Won't he? We've got to make the time. Schedule the time. Protect the time. To grow. And to learn. Because we won't get it back. And nobody will do it for us. I encourage you to keep doing that. Look for the opportunities to learn and grow. Make the time. Take advantage to the resources. In Charlotte, we're privileged with the monthly Bible studies. Or weekly, excuse me. Weekly Bible studies. We're spoiled. And it's a wonderful thing. So we encourage you to take advantage of those things. Question, what will we do now to make sure that we are redeeming the time spiritually and not wasting it on lesser important things? And I'm not saying you're wasting your time but I encourage you to keep making the most of it. What will you do to continue growing spiritually or improve your spiritual growth as we think about that point? <clears throat> Brethren, we live at a time near the end of the age 
where knowledge abounds, yet so do constant distractions and busyness. If we're not careful, the business of society and the cares of this life can consume most of our time, leaving us with little time to focus on what really matters. God, as you know, has given us a finite amount of time in this life to learn, to grow, to overcome, and to become more like him. What can we do to use our time even more wisely? Brethren, how can we change our priorities if necessary to do an even better job of, number one, serving the brethren, and number two, growing spiritually? I encourage you, keep working hard to overcome. Keep working hard to maintain your spiritual focus because you are working hard at it. Keep up the good work. Examine yourself again and again to get rid of activities and time consumers that distract you from what really matters. Make more time to serve God's people and to grow spiritually. And as we do this, brethren, God is going to reward us. He'll be pleased with us and we will reap the rewards because it is certainly more blessed to give than receive. I encourage you and I'll leave you with this final thought. Brethren, keep working hard to become an even more deliberate Christian.